0: Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Balance Chaos
1: podcast. We are so happy to have you guys here for another week. Um, we're really vibing with today's topic. I think <laughs> that this is going to hit home for a lot of people and it's needed. Yeah,
0: literally hit home, past home, current home, all the homes. Um, so our topic today, without further ado, I like, I like to like build <laughs> anticipation. I hope you guys really enjoy that or maybe just the past couple, but I feel like we've been doing that. This is... An episode titled, How to Not Become Your Parents While Still Loving Your Parents. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah. So parents, I mean, I feel like they come up probably in most sessions that we have with people, if not all.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, because everything that's ever happened in your life, and if you want to even go deeper in your previous lifetimes, is stored in your energy body, which then gets stored in your physical body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So... There's so much of your parents in there, <laughs> because so much. They're the first caregivers. They're the first people who show you love. They're the first people that you interact with until most of us until we go to preschool or until you know school yeah. age. So your parents play such a big role in your development and who yeah. you are as a person.
0: Yeah, and who you are as a person and how you feel loved or how you create safety or you know so many things and what we view as quote unquote normal comes from our family until we like go out into the world or explore other families or you know do some soul searching ourselves and decide like is this something I want but and maybe you've done this and maybe not yeah yeah and what often happens I think is that you you go through this cycle and then maybe if your childhood wasn't ideal or there's some anger that's stored that you come up against then you're like well Forget those people. They're out. I hate them now. Yes.
1: and so this I can't app- believe they did this to me. Yeah.
0: Like, it, it, we go on the attack, right. I guess. And, yeah, so we just kind of want to dig into this and look at some of the whys, look at some of what's happening in that family relationship and, yeah, recognizing patterns and moving away from yeah, them.
1: Yeah, how to heal from them or how to build on the ones that work. I do want to talk about the energy of this as well in the body. So your root chakra houses your sense of safety, security, like on this planet, but also your tribal values. And what is meant by that is like your family, your home, your (laughs) culture, um, your ethnicity, all of that is stored in your root. And it's such a big thing where a lot of us know to love people who look like us or act like us, Mm -hmm. but we don't know how to love other humans, right? Yeah. So that's all in root chakra. And a lot of us are taught some of the hate that we know or some of the any of the negative qualities, those are taught to us or observed. We watched our parents do it. We watched Mm -hmm. our grandparents do it or the adults closest to us, so we take those on. So that's all housed in our root chakra until we get of age, like you said, to be able to compare and realize, like, oh, this doesn't work for me or this isn't right. But then there's this huge sense or energy block of separation. Well, if (laughs) I decide that I'm not like my tribe, will they still love me? And Mm -hmm. a lot of people deal with that. Those are the people who have... A discomfort showing their parents who they really are. And we all know somebody like that who's, like, maybe our wild, crazy party friend, but to their parents, they're, like, they're, a perfect angel. Yeah. They
0: never have had a drink. They've never done anything wrong. And they're just perfect. And they tell you, don't talk about that time. In you front know, of my parents. In front of my parents. Like,
1: there's a whole – they have, live a separate life, essentially. Yes. And so there's that in the root chakra. Um, and then it goes into – so – I'm going to skip sacral for this one and go to solar plexus. So our solar plexus is our sense of power. It's our third chakra. And a lot of us will feel like around our parents, like if you have a really powerful parent or an opinionated parent, we'll lose our power around Mm -hmm. them and feel like, oh, I'm just not, I can't stand up to my parents or I'm not enough for them to accept me or love me. So it impacts that chakra. Um, Or we're always trying to prove ourselves to them. There's the opposite too. And I have found with a lot of clients that are wildly successful, That actually comes (laughs) from trying to prove to their parents that they're worthy of love. So, ooh, sounds bad, but also has had some added benefits. Like, I mean, if you've made it to a very successful point in your life, the trauma that caused it, not so great, but gets it right <laughs> like, yeah, I think so way, way the benefits right as somebody who loves power just <laughs> <laughs> Brooke feels very good about this well it, it's in my off, like way off topic but the pattern app always yeah. like literally three times a week will come up and be like you're attracted to power and I'm like okay STFU about the power I get it I like that <laughs> I love power so but that all comes from your solar plexus to bring me back to to where we are yes to this and, moment and then finally <laughs> your heart chakra which is right Above your solar plexus. The way we give, feel, and receive love obviously comes from how we've observed and been loved growing yeah. up. Yes. So this Your parents play such an integral role in your energy body and how you operate in life, the relationships you attract, mm-hmm. why you are attracted to the people you're attracted to and why you tolerate what you tolerate or don't tolerate what you don't tolerate.
0: Yeah. Because so often it's like the values that they've placed in you that makes you, that's on like your checklist of the perfect man. Like, okay, well they have to have, I don't know, college degree and they have to have this and they have to have that. And who told you that? Did you tell yourself that? Or was that something that was like, oh, so-and-so's no good because they didn't go to
1: college or whatever. Right. Most of these ideas are planted in our minds at a very young age. And at a young age, we want love. So if we hear our grandmother or our mom say we need to marry somebody with a college degree or we need to get a college degree, then maybe we start to realize, oh, the adults that don't have a college degree are less than. Yeah. You start to take on those belief systems. Yeah.
0: And I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing to observe and to become aware is the things that you've taken on, that you've taken on from a very early age that, I mean, we talk about this a lot in other episodes too, that may not serve you now. Yeah. That might not be who you're trying to become. That might not be something that's actually important to you, but it's still there because it's been seeded in so
1: early Yes. On. So let's call these early seeded things. I like the way you worded that, um, biased. And we take on these biased and we take them on because we're like, well, if my grandma and mom says this, I want them to love me. So I need to be, at the very least, you know, so let's use that college degree example. If they say I need to marry somebody with a college degree, I need to, at the very least, marry somebody with one. But I better get one for them to think I'm worthy of love.
0: (laughs) Right. Even if they said, you know, the man has to. Like, let's just say we're doing it from a woman perspective. Well, now you're like, well, I want to be as good as any man, so I have to have the college
1: degree. And you're trying to... Prove yourself. And it's your ego. (laughs) Your ego's trying to protect you. So your ego says, well, if that's what they believe, you better protect yourself and make sure you're still worthy of love at the end of the day. Yeah. So the ego's doing its job. But as you become an adult and you realize that they're going to love you unconditionally, they were just trying to protect you and maybe give you the best foundation. Yeah. You need to ask yourself, you know, if you're going through college and you hate it and you're miserable and you're depressed and you're anxious, am I doing this because I actually want to? Or am I doing this because I'm trying to feel loved by mom and grandma? And I remember that statement when I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. And once you can ask yourself that, you can start to break it down. If I'm this miserable, maybe I take a break from college in this example, and maybe I find what really serves my soul. And it's so funny because usually, typically, in these family ties, things come full circle, and if you were to drop out or you were to do go a different path, your mom and grandma are still going to love you. <laughs> typically, are. I do understand that in some families that's not always the case.
0: And it may take a very long time. I think that's important, too, just to note and to realize, like, just because you kind of find something doesn't work for you, and you're like, okay, I'm going after what I want to go after. It can take a long time for because remember these seated issues are, or I don't shouldn't call them issues. These seated ideas that are in you, they're somehow in your mom and your grandma too, right? Right.
1: So they're probably passed down generation to generation. Yes.
0: So for them to have a whole change of framework, is it's probably not going to be like, hey, you know, we'll keep going with this example. Hey, I dropped out of college. Because I l- love music and I'm gonna go on the road with this band. And they're probably not gonna be like, oh, cool, you're pursuing your dreams. I love you unconditionally. Have a great time.
1: <laughs> no, it's not gonna look like that.
0: <laughs> That's not, I mean, maybe for somebody, but normally. It's Ideally, be, yes,
1: but normally there's gonna be some natural worry, right? They wanna protect mm-hmm, you. So mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, are you sure this is a good idea? Or why don't you get your degree before? Yeah. And then you'll always have something to fall back on. Yeah, I have a plan for you. Let yes. me just
0: give you my plan. And you're like, I already did it. I'm already on the road. Bye. But, yeah, it's,
1: it's not going to happen, and it may take years and years and years and years and years. I, it's almost like they need to see that you're okay before yes. they approve. So yes. it might take you being successful with this band and becoming, I don't know, the Rolling Stones for them <laughs> to be like, okay, it worked, it's fine. But I do think the souls like that that are seeking something different are sent down to break through generational ideologies or traumas mm-hmm. that aren't being broken, broken down from and yeah. so we need a soul that comes and breaks up the status quo, or nothing changes. And nothing changes if nothing changes. So a lot of times when we perceive the black sheep of the family or the failure or whatever it is you want to call them, just because they didn't follow the exact path, yeah, those souls are actually helping the bloodline grow. They're healing generational trauma, which is so cool. It, it when you look at it that way, yeah, it's dope. And it's like, okay, maybe we have a long line. Maybe there's been thirty doctors. On one side of the family, <laughs> yeah. but they're frigid, they're miserable, and they all commit suicide. One kid comes and says, you know what? I went to college, didn't like it, don't want to be a doctor. But he lives out his whole life. I mean, he's healed that now.
0: Yeah. It, it is. It's really cool. Okay. So <laughs> we're go- we're going, we kind of have a timeline, but you know, as usual, we're like going going <laughs> through
1: it. We're having fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we hope you are too. So yeah, so you, you come into this world, you meet your parents... You picked them, so good Good luck. You're here. Right. You're in. And they're going to teach you a lot. But the first thing you know is, like, what to... Fi- you figure out what you need for love. Right. right. You figure out what you need for love. What's acceptable, what's not. Yeah. Like, we do this in this family, you know, even simple things like you have to say please and thank you and this. So then you become a little older and you get friends and you start going to friends' houses and you start having sleepovers or spending time at different places and you know, you realize there's a lot of junk food at Susie's house. <laughs> I don't have any friends named Susie, so that's that's probably good. But there's a lot of junk food at Susie's house, and you're like, uh, you're gypping me over here, parents. And you start to compare. And not just about the junk food, but about maybe the way that they
1: let their kids stay up at night. Or what Susie gets for holidays that you don't get.
0: Yeah, or even just affection. Sometimes yeah. it's affection. Sometimes... But anyway, we come into this point of our lives where we start looking and we start realizing that not everybody shows and gives love in the same way. And we might not interpret it as that, but that's really what's happening. Yes. So yeah, so you that happens when you're like
1: preteen, teen. I was going to say probably about 11 to 15 or y- even yeah. through your whole teen years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Preteen to teen, you're exploring different families. You're seeing, you know, some are more lenient, some are more this, and you're maybe going home and you're like, yelling at you, I mean, you're a teenager. You're yelling at your parents all the time. You're going home and you're telling your parents, number one, how they're not good enough or they're doing something wrong. They're ruining your life. They're ruining. Which is our first kind of, you know, moment that we realize our parents aren't perfect. I th-
1: Yeah. You start to see your parents as human, but you're also trying to test your own boundaries mm-hmm. and you're starting to learn that, oh, maybe I believe something different or I feel something different than what I've been told. Yeah. And it's Funny because kids are so malleable that they don't usually have that. I don't need to believe what I'm told. It's more like yeah. let me just be accepted by you know the right. easiest here. Right. How can I show up and just be the easiest?
0: Yeah, and there's I'm gonna reference this because I just think it's so interesting in your brain at the time that you're like 13, 14, because you know this is that generational thing. Years and years and years ago, that was when you left home,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So your brain's telling you like. Hey, fight, run. Yeah, fight with these people. You gotta, you gotta peace out of here. And you're not gonna be mad about it because you gotta go. But sorry, you gotta stay for a few more years. So it it can be a really volatile time. And if you're a parent listening to this, sorry if you're like coming up on that. But no, one, it's something that has to happen. It's completely normal. They're learning to think and feel for themselves. Yeah. And you want to
1: almost nurture it. You do. Well, Set the boundaries. The most important part is that, like, you have the childhood years. So when they're infants, when they're toddlers, when they're children, that is your time to be teaching them, and that's when they're (laughs) absorbent. By the time they're teenagers, they hear what you say, but (laughs) their brains and their energy body literally is not as absorbent as it was when it was a child so if you're trying to reteach your children and have these deep conversations now and teach them right for wrong when they're 15 you're too late yeah honestly the ship has kind of sailed really it has not saying that they can't learn more but you're not going to teach foundational stuff at At that that age age. yeah foundational stuff needs to come earlier and that is why people say talk to your children read to your children find out what's going on have dinners with them but they're constantly observing you as well. So mm-hmm. if you're telling your children, don't get mad and be explosive and control your temper, but then you're being explosive, <laughs> yeah. they're actually taking on what they observe over what you say. Yeah. Well, and I think this, for sure, for like our age, like if you go
0: and I think we're trying and, you know, we have TikTok and Instagram that are helping us parent, honestly. That's so true. <laughs> it's or, or podcasts. Or podcasts, you know, but our parents were kind of like, unless they sat down and read a book, they were kind of on their own. Yeah. Right. So true. So, and they were in that keeping up with the Joneses generation. Like there was not a lot of conversation. I don't think about, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should have our moms on and they can tell us, but there wasn't as much conversation with your friends of like, this is hard. And what do I do? And how do
1: I do this? How do you handle it? So
0: there was probably a lot, like if you, if you're not driving and you close your eyes and you think back to when you were, you know, a 13 year old human, there was probably a lot of times that your parents, you asked your parents, like, well, why are you doing this when I can't? Mm-hmm. And they said, do as I say, not as I do. Right.
1: But, but did, then, you,
0: did you do that? No. no that it,
1: absolutely but, not. But it's, it's important to understand that now if you're parenting your own children. But, yeah, we also have to understand our parents were coming for a ge- from a generation where everything was private. Mm-hmm. So they're not talking to their friends because they need their family to look picture perfect. Yeah. So they're not saying, like, you know, Tommy's cussing at school and acting out because they need Tommy to look like he's a reflection of them. Yeah. And yeah. they're parenting. And I think now, as we realize that you could be the best mom in the world, but they're still serial killers, right? <laughs> right. And there's more, um, just, we have more access to knowledge yeah. and access to stories in the news. So you see that doesn't matter how you parent, each soul's on its individual journey anyway, Yeah. that we can't absorb or internalize our kids' actions. You're going to give them the tools, but they're going to do with them what they will. And so you could have been the best mom or dad in the world and the most communicative and given them the world. But that soul might still make bad choices. And you have to separate yourself from that and not be like, well, if my child makes bad choices, I must have been a bad parent. I'm a failure.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think this is important to uh, coming to, you know, how to not be your parents and still (laughs) love them. Like, one, don't be your parents by don't. Hiding things. Hide things. Don't do that whole do as I say, not as I do thing, but also coming back to that love, understanding that they, there was a lot of pressure, like they were really trying to keep it together and their value, a lot of moms in that generation didn't work and their whole value was in their child Mm -hmm. and their whole worth. And so of course they're putting that much pressure on and of course it didn't feel good, but if you go and think about how that would feel, try
1: that on, you can understand and love and empathize a little more. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way for empathy. But then there's also a directional shift there. If you know that you were your mom's whole life and it didn't feel good and it put pressure on you and it made you feel a lot of shame Mm -hmm. to be different to your kids, how do you accept them as a soul that's separate from yours and not make like not live vicariously through them so that pattern doesn't repeat where they feel responsible for your emotions? Yeah. Like, you know, we can recognize these things, love our parents and empathize with them. But then once you realize it didn't feel <laughs> good for you, make the shift. Stop. Don't do the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so it and it is like my girls are getting a little bit older and they do definitely have their own lives. And it's it is kind of a strange thing, right? You're like, OK, you, yeah, go to your party, <laughs> have fun. And But you're like, but what are they doing? Are they safe? Are they OK? But you do have to one trust that you've put that foundational stuff in there that they're Gonna hopefully make good choices. Of course, they're gonna make some bad choices, but yeah. hopefully more when they're like sixteen to eighteen, normal time. Um, but yeah, it's it is something that you have to be okay with and and check back in with yourself. Like I'm I'm safe just because I don't know exactly what they're doing. They're safe just because they're not with me. Like they can be safe on
1: their own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially so. if you've given them the tools. But let's shift a little bit to relationships. Yeah. So I like. like it. If you've observed your parents in a certain relationship, you might find yourself repeating those relationship patterns, even if, as a child, you didn't particularly like them.
0: Yeah, so we're coming into adulthood now, right? Yes, yes. We're out of teens. We're moving into adulthood. And we want love, because we've figured out our parents are not the only people that are going to give it to us. We need love. a man or a woman, a partner.
1: Yes. And that is usually when we realize, so I do think our younger relationships more mirror we didn't like in our parents and I'm not Mm -hmm. always right about this but maybe we saw our parents explosively fight so in our younger teen maybe early 20 relationships we start fighting with our partner we pick little fights because we we get a reaction out of them we want to see if they love us
0: because we think that's how if our parents were explosive and fought with one another we think that's how you show love yeah it's not actually your fault you just that's what you learned and you're Mm -hmm. like okay so now we're we're together so I'm going to Pick at you and pick at you and pick at you.
1: (laughs) I think it comes from observing, but also, especially in those early, early years, Mm -hmm. how we wanted love from our parents. So if we only got negative attention from our parents and our parents only really showed up for us, you know, when our life was a disaster and in shambles or when we were floundering, well, then we're going to pick a partner who maybe only really shows up in times of disaster. So, you know, maybe we start drinking more around our partner. We start being Mm -hmm. really emotionally reactive to get attention from our partner. Yeah. And But we have to pay attention to those things come from what we observed and how our parents showed us love. And you wake up one day and realize, I don't, this isn't the relationship. This (laughs) doesn't feel how I want it to feel. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the
0: first step to kind of not becoming your parents, right? You don't want, if you realize you're in some pattern that your parents had that doesn't feel good or in a relationship where the love is shown in a way that you felt like you got it and it doesn't feel right. Like that's the first moment that you're going to like wake up and decide to make a change. Yes. But it's
1: hard. It, Oh, <laughs> awareness is just the first step, but from awareness, the taking action. Yeah. Because we are so used to receiving love in one way, we know that it's comfortable and the ego wants you to stay comfortable. It doesn't yeah. want you to take a risk. Cause it's like, well, what if you shifted and go into a healthy relationship? And it doesn't feel as comfortable as this, so you might as well stay with what you know. That's yeah. what the ego is going to tell you. And
0: there's going to be resistance. Like yes. you're going to find. So say you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a new relationship. I'm going for a man that's completely different and nice, nice. And he's just a nice guy. And you get in there, and you're like, and your ego starts acting up, and you're like, mm, okay, he's nice. I'm going to be mean to him. Uh-huh. Let's is see this how nice this is c- too boring. Yeah, I think he's actually not nice. So let me just test that. Let yeah. me just test it and poke and poke and poke. Or
1: you know, whatever it might be. You have to then reel really yourself in and realize that's coming from your childhood trauma. Maybe passed down from parents, but oftentimes we look for partners that treat us the way our parents treated us. So if mom was maybe really nitpicky mm-hmm. and needed you to be perfect and look perfect, well, now maybe you have a partner <laughs> who needs a house to be perfect and needs you to wear the perfect outfit or they don't want to take you out. Yeah. But if you don't want to feel that way anymore, it starts with self-love. So do you approve of your outfits? When do you feel the best? How do you feel the best? Start loving yourself in that feeling, and then you can be like, you know what, I don't need that external validation from a partner anymore because I realized Mom was doing that to protect me. I love myself enough and know I'm okay, so I don't need to to go down that that. route. Yeah, I don't need to be there. Or, sorry, I keep going. No, go. With Dad, too. Maybe Dad worked a lot, and so you had to earn his affection by being, you know, the best ice skater or the best in school. (laughs) And so you pick a partner and you're like, constantly achieving, trying to get them to notice you, but it never feels like enough. Well, you need to, you know, heal your inner child and talk to her and let her know, or him, that they're enough just as they are and that you love them and you approve of them. Then you'll stop seeking partners who are emotionally unavailable. Yeah, and now
0: something happens, right? So you realize you start doing maybe some healing or you start really becoming aware and then you're going to be pissed at your parents. Oh, yeah. You're going to be super pissed because you're like... I have had like 10 shitty relationships because of my childhood. So screw you guys. I'm out. (laughs) It's so true. It's just, it's just the natural, like what happens. Right. So this is that part where how do you love them and still go
1: through it? Well, I think a big part of that is opening your heart and recognizing that they're humans Mm -hmm. too and empathizing Mm -hmm. with them. Like we said. Yeah. Yeah. But then rewriting that story, my mom was judgmental. I don't have to be. Yeah. My mom was insecure. I don't have to be, and dad too. I keep using mothers as, as an example, and I'm sorry because men have play a role as well. Yes, for sure. It's just falsies here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So you start looking at, start looking at that and start realizing one that they're they're human. I mean, you have that realization. I think when you're a teen, right, that these people are human. But then you're like, okay. You're mostly angry at that point, so I don't think you really fully understand that, where they're coming from side. You realize that they're not perfect, but you don't look back and be like, oh my gosh, like if I look back at my childhood and I realize my parents were going through a really hard time, like of course they weren't giving me enough attention. Right. Like they were dealing with X, Y, Z, and I was like, hey, watch me, watch me, watch me, and they weren't watching me because they were trying to stay afloat. Right. so true. So then you start bringing that awareness in, being that, like, what were they going through? Feeling their humanness. More but, compassion. More compassion. And that's how you can step out of that hating. Yeah. Hating them. Blame
1: game. Because being yeah. a victim doesn't solve anything.
0: No. It's actually going to, I mean, it's it's not great for having that love vibration and loving yourself. Like, you you want to, they did a lot. Even if they were terrible, they still probably did a lot for you.
1: Right. And so we're not saying to evade your boundaries or exactly. sugarcoat or not or deny the fact that there was ever abuse or anything, mm-hmm. but what we're saying is you can have a little compassion to see where they're coming from, but then that gives you your own power or the chance to call your power back and now act differently. Yes.
0: And I will say, like, if you do this kind of soul searching and healing and being with it and you're like, you know what, I don't need to have a relationship with them now. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. If that boundary serves you, yes. You want but you don't want to just do it because you're like, oh my gosh. Like it's almost like a reaction. Yes. If you don't
1: something hurt for me to push it away.
0: Yeah. It's that same kind of resistance. Like I don't wanna actually look at this too hard, so I'm just gonna get that person out of my life.
1: Yeah. So you you have to kind of it's a funny game of like well, I do feel like once you start being honest with yourself and unlearning the things that you took on that don't serve you. Yes. And then having the conversations, because I found, like, at the age I am now, I'm grateful that my mom was open-minded enough that when I bring something back to her and I'm like, hey, this made me feel crappy, it was done this, this, and this way, this is Mm -hmm. how I would do it. Watching her be like, yeah, you're right, I didn't know what I was doing, but that sounds like a better shift, I'm going to work on that way, too. Yeah. It's, like, such a great way to bond. It
0: really is. And this... Kind of brings you to the next part. So when you're in adulthood, you have relationships. Maybe you have a partner, or you have a child, and that brings up some new stuff, right? It does. Children bring up new things because suddenly, suddenly you're you're in charge
1: of a small human, while you still have no idea how to adult on your own. I will say it's funny because when I had Grayson, and I would actually get mad. I put that in quotes, like Mm -hmm. at things he was doing wrong. And I realized in my heart I wasn't as mad as I had to show him I was to get him not to do it. Right. I was like, whoa! All those times my mom said she was mad at me, and I felt so much shame or guilt. Not that I'm trying to shame Gil- Grayson, but I probably have some work to do in the backtrack of that now. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, um, <laughs> I was like, whoa! She was never as mad at me as I felt like she was. Yeah. Which I didn't realize till I had kids. Yeah. You, there is just so much that you learn,
0: and and you do start thinking like, okay. What do I want to do the same? Like, what felt really good? What do I want to do different? How can I do it differently? And then I think it does happen, too, where you're like, I want to do this differently. And then you kind of slip into those patterns every once in a while. It's true. And it takes, it takes serious work to not...
1: Work in a gentleness. Because I do think, like, you know, in, with the yes. rise of Instagram in the mom culture, uh-huh. you see all the time the memes that are like, my mom yelled, so I said I wasn't going to yell. But then there's these moms with crippling anxiety because they're never (laughs) getting their anger out because they don't want to yell. And it's like, well, how can you still be a human without shaming yourself for maybe taking on, you know, because you can yell, but you don't have to yell at your kid or belittle your kid. Yeah. So it's like telling you, like, you know, we've said this before, just yell like a, uh, Uh, yeah, without yelling at anybody. And then you're going to still get that anger out of your body, which serves you, but you're not going to pass down this abusive yelling or shaming to the children. Yeah. And sometimes it, sometimes sometimes kids need to be yelled at. Sometimes I need to <laughs> yell.
0: Yeah, there was like this really, I don't know, giant pendulum swing of like, no, we're not gonna, we're just gonna parent so gently that we never yell. And it's
1: well, yeah, and it's then it's unrealistic. Like, I, I think I agree. And then I think you raise fragile children. You raise children where anytime somebody corrects them or coaches them, they take it as a direct insult. Yeah. because they've never been coached or corrected. Yeah. And that doesn't serve us. In the world. No, because we need, honestly, I mean, our whole job is coaching people. Yeah. But if people are so fragile that they come in and want to heal their lives, but they're unwilling to look at their part in things. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Yeah. You have to. It's a, I
0: mean, it's a really intense job being a parent. And it, well,
1: it, it's a lot of talking. It's a do, lot of talking. That's the course correction. Yeah. I feel like in yes, hindsight, we're yes. looking at a lot of generations that didn't talk.
0: Yeah, and our parents were better than they their were. parents.
1: I will say, yes, but, but we can still be better. But it takes it, continued communication. Yes. And realizing, too, like, if something, like, look back at your childhood. And I do think a lot of people don't remember their childhood. No, our memory is real But look at how you feel about certain things. Like, And let's dig into these deep topics, like sex, mm-hmm. sexuality, yeah. tampons. Like menstruation, those things. If you feel any sort of like cringe with talking about them out loud, your parents probably didn't talk to you about them. Even yeah. if you don't remember, they probably didn't. And so, if you don't want your child to feel that same cringe or ignorance or unawareness about it that maybe you feel, even though it's uncomfortable, the choice to be different means yeah, talking about means it. Talking about it. And that the choice to be different is uncomfortable.
0: Oh, like you know what's. Like, the patterns that you know and you learned are going to feel easy. Yeah. And the patterns that you're trying to break or shift from are going to feel uncomfortable. So if you're a little uncomfortable... That's okay. It's okay. And it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. I think a lot of times people just need to hear that. Like, you can be uncomfortable. You don't need to turn away from it because it's uncomfortable. If anything, like, discomfort is growth most of the time.
1: all of the time. All of the time, yeah. Well, because I mean, even if you're uncomfortable and you quote unquote fail, you're going to learn a lesson and know to do it differently next time. Yeah. So lean into that discomfort. That is how you heal. And some of these generational things are going to be so uncomfortable because in your blood it feels wrong because for generations yeah, it has been that way. But you're here to change it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk more about these, these generational things. Now we're, we're grown, we're grown people. So (laughs) adults, so we're adulting and we're, you know, exploring, maybe we're getting a little deeper into this and we're realizing like, Oh my gosh, like I carry a story around that came from my parents, but my parents carried that story from this or from growing up a certain way, or like it's, it's passed down and it is passed in our genes, like certain, Thing, abuse um cultural norms like things that have, that are our, our specific culture has gone through or our specific uh bloodline has gone through are passed in our DNA to us like science yeah has even like we knew this before but like science has actually proven, proven this. this so if your great grandmother went through abuse your mom was her, the eggs that made you were formed in your grandmother, which is, cr- I, let me say that one more time because it's confusing. Okay. So when I had one of my girls in, in my stomach, in my belly, and they're forming, they form their womb and their eggs. So their children are made in me. So we were made two generations back. Right. So
1: if you're, And because that stuff is passed down or felt because energy can't be destroyed. So let's say your great grandma was in an abusive relationship and there was a lot of trauma and turmoil when she was pregnant with your grandma. Your grandma (laughs) carried that her eggs. Then your grandma maybe attracts the same type of relationship and thinks it's okay because that was the norm. And then gets pregnant with your mom. So your mom then is holding you. And so that is why you come and you're sensitive to sound. Or you come and you don't like people yelling. Well, because for generations, there was it was probably appropriate to have that type of abuse. Yeah. But let's talk about, like, emotional abuse yelling. And so you are sent here to change that. So you might be really sensitive to yelling or sound at all. So maybe you're not tolerant of partners who even just express emotion in the, in the lightest way. Like yeah. You're, not you're like, oh, too much. Yes. Yeah. And that is how that is passed down. Like, yeah. so there, but we don't always recognize that. And we think, like, okay, well, I just need to be like them to be accepted. And it's like, no, you you are here to change you're here to change create to grow to to move and yeah yeah everywhere in societies I I stopped I didn't have a direction
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) but yeah I just I think this is really interesting and there's There's certain times, I think, in life that something that's passed down from generation to generation, you might not even realize that it's deep-seated within you until a certain experience happens and you're like, wow, why was I so, why did that hit me so hard?
1: Yeah. Well, I will say, I remember my mom, so my brother was telling a story once about somebody not liking him because of something with his skin, and my mom immediately said, why is it always me? Because she passed down his skin tone mm. and internalized it. And my brother said back to her, you internalize everything. Like this was about my pain and you made it about you. <laughs> oh. And I remember being mind blown. Like, okay, well one, he can say that to her. And two, he realized that like, it was very perceptive. Yeah. And we were like, he was probably 20 and I was probably 19 and I was kind of mind blown. And then I was like, whoa, wait, I internalize things. Cause I was like, first a, what does he mean by internalize? But she immediately felt pain from his experience. From him. Not anything that happened to her. Yes. And she made it about her. That was not her intention, of course. Of course. course. But she had probably seen that done from her mom. And then a separate story with this is when I had my son, the birth part, I guess, was traumatic for my mom. And I remember the day, like, I saw my grandma after. And she was a wonderful woman, but, you know, everybody has some faults. And so I remember, like, my birth was traumatic and... I said to my grandma, like the recovery has just been really hard on me, and she goes, "Hard on you? Your mom had to see you go through that. M- imagine how hard it is on her." And I'm like, "Oh," Wait. but it didn't actually happen to her physical body. Yeah, it happened like, on my physical <laughs> body healing it. Yes, oh, and th- so then I realized that statement that my brother had made years earlier came from my grandmother because she internalized things like in that same way. Yeah, because she like you know, who feels it more. And it was almost like a competition. So then I had to look at my life as I started getting older and my feelings would get hurt about things. And I had to start asking myself, did that really happen the way I felt it? Or did I internalize something that wasn't meant to hurt me? And the more I could break that down, the more I could stop it. And the less and less my feelings get hurt because the less Mm -hmm. and less I take things personally. But I learned at a young age through observing my mother and my grandmother to take things personally, to make them about me.
0: How interesting. And it is also interesting because I do feel like, there's a lot of patterns that pa- get passed through the women or that get passed through the men. So the, your brother could recognize it, but you didn't recognize it until then. Right.
1: Well, yeah, because the men in my family, if I'm just looking at my dad and my grandfather, <laughs> mm-hmm. on like my dad checks out. My dad <laughs> kind of sits back and watches the family, okay. but almost takes nothing personally. It's He would almost rather not have an input than to ever rock the boat. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And my mom describes, and I remember my grandfather, he was here till I was about 16, but him, the sa- very much the same way. Like, the women would have their drama or whatever they are going through, and he was kind of quiet and just laid back. And so that <laughs> is why it was so easy for my brother to observe it, because it wasn't about him.
0: Yeah, and he could sit back and just see what was happening.
1: Yeah, mm. it's very true.
0: It's really, it's like, it's kind of fun to look at those. And my grandparents, my parents were older when they had me, and so I only really knew my paternal and maternal grandmother and I didn't know either of the grandfathers really well. There's a lot of stories but like my dad's dad I know nothing about which is kind of and my dad didn't like to talk about him and it's those are also interesting too because you know that it's there mm-hmm. and you know that it has an impact but when you don't know the actual story right? and I think that happens to a lot of people if you're adopted and you're like well I don't know that story of it but it still sits within you so if it's just kind of even recognizing your triggers that you don't feel like come from a certain situation in your right. childhood it's probably something that's been passed, passed down. down
1: oh it's so true like when i ask somebody do you remember in childhood this ever happening and they're like no but i still react this way it's it's probably in your bloodline in your bloodline
0: and i have like on my on my maternal side my grandmother, she was agoraphobic for a point in her life. Like before she had kids, she wouldn't leave. My mom is always very curious about what happened to her. Um, Um, Tell
1: everybody what agoraphobic
0: is. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I remembered the word this time. You did. You did great. Uh, So it means that she wouldn't leave the house. So like you won't leave the house. Like you have so much anxiety that you can't leave. And there's definitely a lot of anxiety in my family like my mom as well I love you mom but like (laughs) social things can be a little hard or there's this almost like this feeling of uh not being liked and I feel like I have that as well like I sometimes will go into situations and I'm like okay I not as much anymore but like when I was younger like I'm like oh everybody has a bond here except for me Mm -hmm. and I would feel like that like I it's like this isolating thing like and you almost self-isolate and I know that that comes from that being passed out and I see it in at least one of my daughters and it's it's so interesting because you you do have to it's like breaking that cycle but it takes work and I'm like oh
1: it's already passed <laughs> how did it how did it jump there but well, but it's funny because I think without awareness a lot of moms would see something they went through in their children and be like I went through that too this is what I did but that doesn't break the pattern yeah so they give them advice based on what they did even whether it worked or not mm-hmm like, so let's just say the insecurity. Maybe they were taught they had to have a rich man. So you have this mom that tells her daughter she has to have a rich man, even though she might have been with a rich man and never felt good, never felt loved, never felt validated. Yeah. But is still passing that down, where instead she should be saying, look, I found the rich man that I thought I needed to have, and I still didn't feel fulfilled. So instead, find your dream, find your passion, and find yeah. love. But, like, like, you just have to figure out, how maybe it is passed down and it's served one but not right. it the person doesn't have to go the exact direction that you did yeah if that, that. makes yeah. sense i hope that i put that in the right words i think you did well like you like did. your kids like if if somebody feels left out instead of you being like yes i felt left out so i exactly. would go be, make myself the center of attention but maybe that didn't always feel good and you didn't want to be the center of attention instead ask them well what makes you feel
0: yeah like good? how do you feel connected Yeah. What makes you feel like you're a part of something? Or, you know, what do you tell yourself when you're in those situations? So they can write their own story. Yeah. Like giving them, empowering them.
1: Yes. Rather than telling them what to do. Yeah. Like this worked for me, so this is just how you have to do it. Yeah. Even if it was uncomfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Because I think the same thing. So my dad's side of the family, his mom coped with alcohol, but I think it was undiagnosed social anxiety. Mm. And so my dad has some of that. (laughs) And I'm realizing, like, do I like to have wine or like something? Yes, but if I'm that anxious in a situation, I need to go into it and not drink. Yeah, and ground myself instead of doing the same thing. What the, what worked for them was just let me just drink alcohol and people will like me. Yeah, like that can't work all the time. Yeah, and so you just have to kind of unlearn those patterns.
0: That I mean, that's definitely like the the alcohol stuff runs runs deep in my family on on both sides, and. For a long time, I thought like, okay, I can't. Then I'm just not going to drink. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. And it was really like figuring out the situations. Like, uh, yeah, because if you're, I'm going into something and I'm feeling like I'm uncomfortable. I'm a little anxious. Let's have a shot. All right, let's right. do this.
1: Or like, I'm. Well, and the shot taking has been become a personality type. We all have that friend that's like, get everybody a shot. Get everybody a shot. Yeah, they're probably your most anxious friend, and that's yep. what has mask the anxiety yeah
0: being the shot girl being the shot girl like let's I'll do another shot and you're growing up and everyone's like I don't actually want to do those anymore (laughs) but it's different than like sitting with Halstein at the end of the day and having a glass of wine right like that I've had to kind of like navigate like okay I can I don't have to come like maybe one day I would but like for right now, I don't have to completely cut that out of my life. And I've also done the experiment of, can I go without this for a while? Can I, and like playing around with those things to see what you're holding onto generationally and what you're able to, like, I'm rewriting the story because it is, it is easy to just have some drinks and forget about the social thing and just, you know, be yourself without any sort of uh, insecurities or barriers or whatever, or can I go and like have one drink and then have some water and be okay with that? That's what I'm doing. Yes. So
1: what we're telling you guys to do is look at the stories. Like maybe you tell yourself like, oh, my family's just drinkers and we just, drink. yeah, that's what we do. Yes. It's or fun. My- <laughs> <laughs> you know, or the, I've even seen it with families that are like, we're just not runners, but you might have a kid that's born to the family that loves to run. Like, yeah, like you have to stop labeling the family. Yes, I love that. Because that's when you're creating it for, like, the story for everybody, and somebody's not going to fit that narrative, and they're going to feel like they don't deserve love because they don't fit that narrative. Yeah, they're like,
0: oh, but I can't can't do that. I can't, or I want to go run, or I want to do something different, and then they're going to mask who they are.
1: Yeah, and it's such a, like... I can see that in my family, and I'm I'm going into another story, and I know I keep doing this. I would like the podcast to go on forever. So if you guys, we now have, have hour long
0: podcasts <laughs> or longer. We'll see. I like to feel heard. <laughs> um, <laughs> she likes power. I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but in my family, culturally, hair has been a big thing, and so my mom's side of the family, again, that same grandmother who she was a, such a pivotal and huge part of my life, and I love her a lot. I'm just using her for these examples, but. Her growing up, she grew up around predominantly white people and she was not. She was African American. Mm-hmm. And she always thought, okay, I have to have my hair perfectly pressed, which means straightened and flat, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna be judged, or I'm not gonna blend in, which she already probably didn't blend in, right? Right. Like, like she's that. the only black lady. You right. didn't blend in, baby. <laughs> cool.
0: probably the security um, <laughs> fix it, but okay.
1: <laughs> but she literally said, like, my dad worked for the railroad, so he had a what was considered a white person's job. And so he needed his children and his family to blend into the white community as best as they could. And Mm -hmm. you have to imagine at this time, like, my grandma was born in the 20s. Like, there wasn't – her dad having that job was huge. And, like, he owned a home, which black people didn't own homes back then. They didn't get to. So the fact that that happened for them was, like, a a big thing. So then she had my mom, who she – and my mom's sister – She made them feel insecure about their hair all the time. Their hair always had to be done, perfectly pressed is what she called it. Like, you need to get your hair done. Your hair needs to be done. You don't go out of the house without your hair done. Okay. And so my mom even, she probably is ashamed of me saying this, but my mom wore weaves forever. Doesn't anymore. She wears her natural hair. It took me, so growing up, I hated my curly hair. But I also grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood where all the girls had straight hair. And I've talked about my hair trauma before. Not only do I have blonde hair trauma, but I have, I had straight hair trauma. So people would always tell me your hair's frizzy, your hair's different, your hair's that, your hair's that. So I was always very insecure. So I straightened my hair from junior high all the way up until my early twenties. It was always perfectly stick straight and it didn't feel good for me. And I used to want to wear my hair curly. And I remember even one of my high school boyfriends was like, you actually look better with your hair curly, but you never wear it to school like that. And I remember him telling him like, shut up. Like, don't say that. Don't tell people I have curly hair. Like I was (laughs) very straight. (laughs) Yeah. I was very like ashamed of it. Yeah. And I remember my grandma, when I would try to wear it curly on the weekends, because I also played soccer, so straightening it in the heat was not sustainable. practical. No, it made no sense, but she would be like, you need to go do your hair. Why didn't you do your hair today? And there was this shame around it Mm. until I became of age, and I was like, look, I'm just not doing that anymore. I found curly hair products. They worked for me, and I liked it. I had to own liking it, and it took my grandmother probably three years of me wearing it curly to finally compliment it and be like, (laughs) it's beautiful. You're doing a good job. Then... It took probably three years after that for my mother to find the strength to wear her natural hair and her to be like, I like it despite what Nana says, but she never wanted to shame Nana. Well, it was my grandma. So she never wanted to shame her mom. So it took her a very long time to be okay with it, but I had to do it first. And now both my mother and I wear our hair naturally curly and it's fine and it works, but, but you broke that. It took breaking it literally. And I know that sounds like a silly story, but in our family, it was a big thing.
0: No, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. And There's so many things that we can, you know, quote unquote, find silly that are actually really big because shame. So the hair, okay, hair, hair, whatever, but (laughs) the shame that goes along with it and like passing that to your, I mean, maybe
1: your daughter one day of like, yeah, you have to wear your hair this way or you're not worthy. Well, yeah, you're unkept. You're not taking care of yourself. And that's not the story. Like, it actually takes me a lot. Like, the, the amount I spent on products? No.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not true. <laughs> it's
1: taking like, a lot of care of it. it. It does. But, like, look in your family and look back to generations. What was accepted? And some of it could have been trauma. Like, if you're from another culture or your parents or grandparents were immigrants, there is probably something they did to, to make the family fit in. Yeah. That has shame around it sure, that you sure. might still be doing that doesn't need to be done. Yeah. Or that doesn't feel good anymore and it's so like it's so
0: interesting because you really do have to look look back look back look back because it's it becomes very unconscious right it does. and like we're here and we're all moving around we're all you know most of us are not from where we live. I think the majority of people didn't weren't born and raised or they've moved around or they came back or they moved or they've this. So you feel like, Oh, I'm very evolved. I know and have experienced a lot of different things, but there's still things that are sitting underneath the surface. There's still judgments. Yeah. There's still judgments about who you are, who other people are. And yeah. And if you listen to, you know, uncles and aunts sit around the dinner table and say things and you're cringing like
1: good yeah it is good and well and that's the thing too you got to explore empathy because in families if if it was so normal to hate a certain culture or a certain class or a certain mm-hmm. anything of people there's not there's a lack of em- empathy that's been passed down mm-hmm. and so you might have to reexplore that do i really hate this culture or do i really hate this place or these types of people Or is it just because I was told that I should? Yeah. And that's, the more we explore that, that's how we get to world peace. Because you can't keep holding on to the armor that has once protected your ego or your family's ego or your family's pride if it's no longer serving the greater good, and that's what we have to unlearn. Your grandpa might have been the best person in the world, but if he was holding on to some bigotry or some, you know, maybe he didn't like women or he thought less of women, yeah, he was good, but like, we don't want to pass that down to our sons and that's okay. Yeah. Or like anything like that. So you can still appreciate the person and the value they brought. Right. And maybe they brought your family here. Like I can appreciate my grandmother for, you know, wanting to protect her kids and have them be accepted or wanting me to be accepted. Mm -hmm. But now that I know I'm accepted, I don't need to keep straightening my hair.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and things that worked for a certain time, we may have gone past it, but you are still holding on to it. Like it is totally fine to have curly hair, but if you just kept going, like, I don't, I'm not right without it. I'm not right if my hair's
1: not straight. And you have to look deeper, too. So the things that you feel shame about, you're probably judging other people for. Yes. So, like, if I always had to have my hair done a certain way to go out, Mm -hmm. I was probably hypercritical of other people's hair.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this can go into, like, your home and letting... Yeah, and, like, what you're wearing. And I do think if you look back a few generations, like, probably at some point your your line was in a war. And Mm -hmm. they had to hate another
1: culture or this to survive. Exactly. But, like, you don't have to do that anymore. Oh, my God, that's such a good example because it's so true. Like, you're okay now, so what is that hate protecting? Yeah,
0: and but your, you know, great-great or great-grandpa that was in World War II, World War I, that had to hold that so that they could feel okay with what they were doing, which was terrible, like... It no
1: longer serves. It no
0: longer serves. We're not there. So And we don't want to go back there. Right. So let it go.
1: Yes. (laughs) It's so true. So when we're talking about your parents, take an analysis of your triggers and what you're teaching your kids and ask yourself, am I triggered by this because it actually is impacting or affecting my life? Or am I triggered because I was told? And some of these things in themselves might be triggering. Yeah. I'm going to use the word trigger a thousand times in a sentence. But then ask (laughs) yourself, do my kids need this for survival or do they need this because I'm uncomfortable? And if it's just because you're uncomfortable, you don't need to teach it to them. Yeah. And
0: it doesn't mean you have to be perfectly healed in it either to not teach it to them. I just want to say that. Like, you can still be battling it and working with it, but not teach it to them.
1: Well, maybe you, like a good example of this, maybe you grew up in a not so good neighborhood and you had a fear of a certain culture or community Mm -hmm. because of the neighborhood you grew up in. Yeah. But if your children are growing up in a completely different neighborhood, what good is it for you to teach them fear of that? Yeah, culture or whatever it was that scared you. When they're not experiencing the same thing, so they don't need to hold that fear that you held. Oh, I love that. That's a great example. Thanks. Yeah, good job.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So this was a lot. This was yes, This, was, kind this of, is kind of a heavy digestible. It episode. is. It's, it's hard to digest. It's got a lot of a lot of things in there. There's a lot of layers to you know your parents and loving them and culture, society, cult- yeah. what's passed down. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. So if you were like feeling triggered at any moment, (laughs) explore that trigger.
1: Yeah. Those triggers are probably your ego's way of trying to keep you safe. Tell your ego you're okay and you want to get to the bottom of it and unlearn them. It's always okay to unlearn them. Um, We've talked about this book before, but a great book for unlearning what you were taught is The Voice of Knowledge by Don Miguel Ruiz. He really goes over... Oh, it's so good. Yeah. What's passed down and how most of us think we need it, but when you really take a deeper look you you don't don't, need it you don't your belief systems do not have to be the same as the people who love you yeah and also how you're like making
0: choices to be loved that maybe aren't serving anybody so true (laughs) so yeah thank you for listening and um we hope you have an amazing week i'm trying do we have things coming up well we still have our patreon pages up so you're welcome to check that out it's patreon slash balance Chaos LV. Uh, We will have some events coming up. We do. Spring. Spring Springtime. We're coming alive. Yes. We're coming in. So look out for those. Follow us on Instagram. If you don't. And if you like this episode or found it triggering, want to trigger someone else, share it with a friend. Yeah. (laughs) So great. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Balanced Chaos Podcast. We're so happy to have you here with us each week. Please help us out by subscribing to the show,
1: sharing with friends, and leaving us reviews. You can also follow us on Instagram. We can communicate with you there. Our Instagram handle is at Balance Chaos LV. Reach out and we'll write back. Bye. 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 Bye.